the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. As we turn our attention to the proclaiming of the scripture, let us pray. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led to your truth and taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the prophet Ezekiel. Listen for God's word to you. The Lord's word came to me. What do you mean by this proverb of yours about the land of Israel? When parents eat unripened grapes, the children's teeth suffer. As surely as I live, says the Lord God, no longer will you use this prophet in Israel. All lives are mine. The life of the parent and the life of the child belong to me. Only the one who sins will die. But you say, my Lord's way doesn't measure up. Listen, house of Israel, is it my ways that don't measure up? Isn't it your ways that don't measure up? When those who do the right thing turn from their responsible ways and act maliciously, they will die because of it. For the malicious acts, they will die. And when the wicked turn from their wicked deeds and act justly and responsibly, they will preserve their lives. When they become alarmed and turn away from all their sins, they will surely live. They won't die. Yet the house of Israel says, my Lord's way doesn't measure up. Is it my ways that don't measure up? Isn't it your ways that don't measure up, house of Israel? Therefore, I will judge each of you according to your ways, house of Israel. This is what the Lord God says. Turn, turn away from all your sins. Don't let them be sinful obstacles for you. Abandon all of your repeated sins. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, house of Israel? I most certainly don't want you to die. This is what the Lord God says. Change your ways and live. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. Listen, God is still speaking. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. Jesus replied, Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. What about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? 
Do you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than anyone else that lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He said to his gardener, Look, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Sir, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. By the time Paul Brunner's ambulance arrived at the worst mass shooting in Texas history, the scene bordered on chaos. Survivors were wailing. Families were uncertain about who was alive and whose lives had been stolen. Among the first injured patients that Brunner loaded into his ambulance were two children. It defied all reason. This wasn't last weekend in El Paso, when a hell-bent man killed 21 people and injured dozens more at a Walmart. This was the first Baptist church of Sutherland Springs, just a year and a half ago. That horrifying Sunday, a different man interrupted the strains of praise and prayer with the sound of gunshot. Recalling the aftermath of the violence, the screaming parents, the shock, the outrage, Brunner tried comparing it to a war scene. But it wasn't really a war zone, he said, because at least people in a war know that they are in the middle of a war. This is just so hard to describe, he said. Hard to describe. That's how the last couple of weeks around here and around the world have felt. A shooting in far away California becomes terribly real when we learned that a young man from neighboring Romulus, Trevor Irby, was among the victims. This week, Dr. Bill Sachs, a larger-than-life character who practically delivered every baby in this county for three decades, died, leaving a gaping hole in his family and in this community. On Thursday afternoon, the day before she would undergo surgery to have a pacemaker inserted, I prayed with beloved Sally Smith of the Lodi Church. Not 24 hours later, I was on I-90 driving to Rochester, where she had been rushed 
after her brain began to bleed, becoming a left hemispheric stroke. It's all so much. It's hard to describe. I imagine that's how those bewildered folks felt when they reported to Jesus about what Pilate had done. Like the people gathered in Sutherland Springs, these Galileans had come to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. The gospel writer found a gruesome image to describe the violence. Pilate didn't just kill them when they offered their gifts to God. In the language of the New Testament, Pilate mixed the blood of the Galileans with that of their sacrifices, a gruesome image. Now this lines up with what we know about Pilate. Pilate, while he was governor of Judea, did not hesitate to spill blood in order to keep the population in fear. But Jesus doesn't zero in on Pilate. Instead, he calls out a tendency we know all too well in ourselves, blaming the victim. We've heard it all before. He must have done something to provoke it. What did she expect the way she was dressed? If you hadn't made me so mad, I wouldn't have said those things. We're human, programmed to make sense out of senseless situations. And we've had a lot of practice arriving at the scenarios that make us most comfortable, whether or not they're actually true. Speaking to the crowds, speaking to us, Jesus cuts through the clouds of self-deception. Do you think their suffering proves that they were more sinful than anyone else? No! Those Galileans were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Don't blame them that Pilate felt like flexing his bloodthirsty muscles that day. Death is a part of the human package under the current rules. People die without deserving it. As Jesus said to a different crowd, God makes the sun to rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Deal with it. But then Jesus says something more, something that is hard to describe. But unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Just imagine the different reactions from the disciples gathered there. Jesus, I'm confused. If we're going to die anyways, why should the threat of death make me change my life? Jesus, I'm annoyed. Would you please speak plainly? Are you talking about the afterlife or what? Jesus, I'm angry. How dare you turn my heartbreak into an object lesson about repentance? 
these disciples have a point. But so does Jesus, who doesn't always share the urgent news of God's kingdom in the gentlest language. You see, from the very beginning, Jesus' message has been about the kingdom of God. It is coming, coming soon, and it will change everything. The kingdom is good news to the poor. It is release to the prisoners. It is recovery of sight to the blinded. It is freedom for those weighed down by injustice. Now is the year of the Lord's favor. Now is the time God will take this world that doesn't make any sense, a world where people are murdered as they worship, a world where accidents rob our loved ones of life, a world full of cancer and racism and bleeding in the brain. God will take this world and heal it making the dream of heaven real on earth. Here comes God's kingdom, Jesus shouts from the street corner. He's holding up a homemade sign, repent, literally rethink, change your hearts, change your lives, or as our Jewish sisters and brothers would say, turn around. Turn around because life is short. Turn around because you don't want to miss this. Turn around because the kingdom is true living and any other path is just dying in slow motion. The message doesn't take a break. Jesus doesn't cool down his rhetoric to give us a chance to catch our breath Jesus doesn't ditch the repentance message in order to respond to the latest crisis. Jesus is like a toddler. He can see that you're doing something else. He can see that you're trying to have a conversation with someone else. But what he has to say is too important to wait. So yes, it's awkward to talk about repentance when there is so much, and please forgive my language, when there is so much crap happening in the world. But Jesus knows it's going to happen regardless, and the message of the kingdom cannot wait. Yet here's the funny thing about the kingdom. Just when you think you understand it, Jesus throws a curveball. Take this story about the fig tree. For three years, the tree hasn't produced any fruit, so here comes the sensible solution. Cut it down. But the kingdom's gardener, the one who planted a garden when the world began, won't listen to reason. Give it one more year. I'll put manure around it. Who knows? Maybe next year we'll see branches weighed down by lush, violet figs. Life is short. We know this, and so does Jesus. 
the most arbitrary thing can snatch away our next breath. Life is precious. Jesus knew this too. And so do we when we wake up, when we pay attention. Because life is short, Jesus says, turn around, change your hearts, bear fruit now. Because life is precious, Jesus tells us, I will go to any lengths necessary to shower you with the sunshine and the rain and the soil you need to put out that promising bud. That is grace. And what is grace upon grace is that the gardener will even pile on a fresh helping of manure full of life-giving nitrogen and phosphorus. Manure doesn't smell pretty, but the gardener will repurpose even the stinkiest waste if it can transform our lives. Now let's be clear. God doesn't give us crap, literally or metaphorically. In the Gospels, That's Satan's job. But God does take the manure of our lives, the heartbreak, the hurt, the horror, and does what God does best. God brings life out of death. Nothing is wasted in God's economy, from the closest pile of compost to the most senseless violence. Even as Jesus calls to us, don't get distracted by pain or panic. The Spirit sifts through that pain to find something, anything, that will help us bear fruit. It's hard to describe the way that God moves in our lives. Even familiar words like grace are difficult to pin down. But whether or or not we know how to describe it, grace calls. Whether or not we understand it, grace heals. Whether or not we accept it, Grace abounds. Friends, in gratitude for this grace, let us bear the fruit that a hungry and hurting world so needs. Fruit that gives glory to the one in three, the three in one, God most mighty, most merciful, most wise. Amen.